the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode, we're lucky to be joined by Johnny Searles. Johnny is a veteran, a mason, and retired lieutenant of the North Carolina Highway Patrol. He was directly involved in catching Richard McCoy Jr. and his cronies after their escape from jail and their bank robbery in North Carolina. Johnny is 100% certain that McCoy is Cooper. Also, Richard McCoy helped introduce Johnny to his wife in a roundabout way. Enjoy this episode with my good friend, Johnny Searles. Johnny, how old were you in 1971? I was a young whippersnapper trooper. I was 21 years old. 21 years old. And what were you doing at the time? Well, I just started patrol No, I hadn't. I wasn't in patrol school. I was uh, in, uh, I got out of the military in early 71 and went, and I got out of the military in 72. Uh, I was still in service in 71. And do you remember hearing about the D.B. Cooper hijacking in 1971? I did, but... Uh, it was not a big thing to me at that time. Uh, everybody was hijacking planes and, and going to uh, Cuba, which I never understood because they were met with machine guns when they got to Cuba. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose being a 20-year-old dude, you don't care that much about what's going on in the news on the mm-hmm. other side of the country. Uh, I was in Hawaii having a ball. Oh, yeah. If I was in Hawaii, I wouldn't care much about the D.V. Yeah. Cooper hijacking either. Yeah, I was stationed wide there at that time. And then after your military career, you became a state trooper, is that right? Right, North Carolina. I uh, was sworn in July 1st, 1972. And how long did you work for the Highway Patrol? Uh, 28 years. 28 years. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. What got you back into D.B. Cooper? When, when did you hear that again? Well, in... Uh, in 1974, I was sitting in, in the county seat in Trenton on a Sunday night. I was a trooper working, and I was sitting beside another trooper, and we were we were just solving all the world's problems. And uh, at that time, there was one stoplight. This was August the 12th, 1974, and there was one stoplight, and we were just sitting there talking. I was facing the stoplight, and my buddy was parking facing his back to the stoplight. We were, we were just sitting in the patrol cars talking. And I observed a light green Ford Fairlane pull up to the stoplight. Well, when you work a, a rural county, Jones County is a rural county. When you work a rural county like this, you know most of the cars and people. And that car didn't fit. I don't know why, but it just it didn't fit. And uh, it didn't do anything. It wasn't driving fast, wasn't reckless or loud muffles or anything. Didn't give me, I didn't have a reason to do anything about it. But ironically, the next day, my partner saw it in his rearview mirror. 
And he thought the same thing, but neither one of us commented on it. Well, the next day I'm working, that was on a Sunday night. The next day I was working early shifts. I came into to the town of Trenton, made a lift, and uh, as soon as I made a lift in Trenton, I'm about 12 miles from Paulsville. And the radio station, my patrol radio station called me and told me the bank in Paulsville had just been robbed by four white males. Last thing, his Highway 17 North in a dark green Monte Carlo. Well, I turned and came, instead of going down Highway 58 to Paulsville because they were going north, I took a, a crossroad and uh, was coming out of real paved 1002. And after about five miles, I meet the light green Ford Fairlane that I'd seen the night before. And I remember meeting, but I'm running blue light and siren and I'm going to a bank robbery for dark green Monte Carlos, but I do remember meeting. Uh, when I got to Highway 17, I met another trooper from Craven County. He said they didn't come that way. He was on 17 when they gave the call out. So we turned around and went back toward the bank. And about two miles outside of town, we saw the dark green Monte Carlo park abandoned beside an old shack. And, um, of course, we got out and approached it. There was nothing, nothing there. So we, um, you know, we kept that scene safe until the FBI could get there and process it. Uh, luckily, we all finally we all meet up at the bank with the FBI. And uh, fortunately for us, our highway patrol helicopter was close by that day. So, um, Matt, Darren, if you need to interrupt me and stop me, go ahead. Oh no, I'm I'm enjoying this. Uh, well, our, our patrol helicopter was nearby, and uh, the chopper put uh, two FBI agents and a trooper. I was on the ground in my patrol car with two FBI agents, and we had a deputy sheriff with that FBI agent and a uh, ATF, I called the back and firearms agent. And our intentions are to go to the Coast City area. This is where McCoy drew, grew up, Richard Floyd McCoy. This is where he grew up. And... Uh, because the FBI obviously thinks this is the perpetrator. And uh, we uh, we get up there, and the first road, dirt road we turn on to the left is a loop road. It's about a mile long. And at the apex of that loop, there's a little bridge with a little canal there, probably 15 feet wide. There's a farm path on each side of that. And when we got, when I got, I was in the lead, when I got to the front first, farm path, Trooper Sullivan in the helicopter called me and he said, stop, I see him, you know, on that first path. And what he saw was the green Ford Fairlane. They had, they had parked the Ford Fairlane north of Paulsville and had stolen the night before the green Monte Carlo. They robbed the bank in the Monte Carlo and came back and got in the Ford Fairlane and left, so we'd be looking for a dark green Monte Carlo. But Sullivan could actually, before McCoy and the guy saw him, saw the helicopter, McCoy was at the left front, Havel was across the hood, and I can't remember the other guy's name, and Walker was beside McCoy. And McCoy was actually handing out the money. They were divvying up the money from the bank robbery. Well, they, they saw the uh, helicopter, and uh, Havel and the other guy ran they ran um, east. The McCoy and Walker ran south. 
Well, I started to go up that path, and Sullivan told me not to go to the other path because those two were late. So I went over about a, about 50 yards ago on that other path and turned left, went up in there, and there and I literally almost ran over them. They come running him, and they said yes. So Richard got two pieces of evidence out of the locker, and he and another agent flew to North Carolina, went in the living room. There's McCoy's sister-in-law and mother-in-law sitting on a couch, and Richard and another agent sitting across from him. He reached in a manila envelope to the two pieces of evidence was a black tie with a pearl necklace, pearl, pearl tie tie, not a necklace, but a pearl tie tie. And when they pulled it out, he said, I want you to tell me if you know what this is. They pulled it out in unison. They said, that's Richard's. Now, this is what Cooper left on the plane. And in unison, they said, that's Richard's. And Richard asked her, how do you know? And the sister-in-law said, because I bought it for him. It's the only tie tie he owned. So the tie that was left on flight 305 was Richard Floyd McCoy's tie. Right. And tie tack. And tie tack. Yeah. Why did his wife so aggressively go after people after it, he was accused of, of being D.B. Cooper as well? Because, I mean, there's no doubt that he committed that second skyjacking. Yeah. yeah. But... She sort of went after people legally when they accused him of doing the first hijacking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was involved in that. She, I was surprised she was never indicted. Uh, she took him to the airport on the, uh, on the hijacking. So, I mean, she's involved in it. She knew what he'd done. And, and I don't know if maybe she was, if she, she thought that if she took that stance that the law enforcement would leave her alone. Do you think she encouraged him to do the hijacking? I don't know because, and the reason I say that, they were they were having financial problems. Uh, the only money they had, she was working. I don't know where she was working, but Richard was, the uh, only money Richard had coming in, and, and, and you know, he was, a, well, I don't know if you do or not, he was a student at Brigham Young. Right. And the only money he had was his uh, military uh, education. He was only getting like 200 and some dollars and, I, I don't know what she was, uh, what she was getting, but they they were having and two kids, and at that time his his sister in law was living with him too. Two kids and a sister in law. So. It's a lot of people now, to feed for two hundred and forty bucks a month. It certainly is. Now, also there is um, there was a gas receipt or a fill up for gas for a Volkswagen with. McCoy's registration on it in Las Vegas the week of the Cooper hijacking. Right, and what was McCoy doing in Las Vegas? Well, he, he, I can tell you exactly what he was doing. This is the question I get asked all the time. Have you ever you ever gambled at Las Vegas? I have. Have you big time? I mean, I, I'm getting your personal business there. But I mean... $1,000? No, no, not at all. I actually, like McCoy, I, I grew up Mormon, so my view of okay. gambling is sort of uh, okay. jaded that way. So the most I've ever gambled is, is like $20, which to me is, is big. Well, let's say I got $200,000 in cash. I walk in a casino with $1,000 in my pocket. And I go up to one teller and I want $500 worth of... Uh, worth of chips? 
Yeah, I want five hundred dollars worth of chips. She gives me the five hundred dollars worth of chips. I walk to the other side of the room to tell her on the other side and want to cash in my chips. He laundered two hundred thousand dollars in Las Vegas that week. Oh, you think he laundered the whole thing that week? The whole thing. There was also a collect phone call made from the Tropicana Hotel in Las Vegas uh, on Thanksgiving Day when he was supposed to be home eating, having lunch with them. There was a collect phone call from the Tropicana Hotel in Las Vegas to the McCoy residence. Is there any other reason he would have been in Las Vegas? No. No people, no, no relatives, no friends, nothing. What do you think led him to the first hijacking? Do you think it was just struggling for money? I think it was struggling for money. And like I said, he was, he was a smart man from what I found out about him. He was smart, but he had some idiosyncrasies that, you know, just why in the world would somebody like him use the same phone booth knowing that they had that phone tapped? Well, he had to know it. I, I, I never understood why he would do things like that. And uh, I'll tell you one other part. Uh, had, I don't know whether you heard about this. There was a friend that he was talking to that told him that he had a foolproof plan. Yeah. He had a friend there. Yeah. That friend was a Utah State Trooper. Larry Patterson. Yeah. And uh, when he told him that, he sort of passed it off. And uh, when, but when the, when he found out about the hijacking, he called the FBI and said, look, you might want to talk to my neighbor down here. So that's what actually turned them on to McCoy. I've read this book recently called Happy Valley. Um, I'm going to butcher the subtitle here, but it's something like Mormons, Mafia, and Murder. And and in that book, they accuse Larry Patterson of being D.B. Cooper and sort of mentored McCoy into doing the next hijacking. And then Patterson sort of frames McCoy for his own hijacking. So McCoy goes down for both and Patterson walks away. Uh, McCoy is going to be the leader. McCoy is the leader. McCoy is the leader. He's not going to be a follower, no, no matter what. That's one. That's that's one of the first things that jumps out at you. He's a leader. He he's not going to be second in command. Matter of fact, little things when he when he went to uh, Lewisburg Penitentiary in in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, the first thing he done was make friends with three, with with Walker Havel and the other guy. I can't remember his name. But they were all under six feet. They wanted to be the biggest man. <laughs> now that's a that's an observation from me. <laughs> no scientific proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that that he, you know, was was Mormon and that he had this impressive military career. It seems like yeah. such a good guy. He didn't have a criminal background that I'm aware of. So why? Why do this? Yeah. What made that switch in him? Well, again, I think what you just said brings out that part that I keep going back to. He he was a smart man, but then he'd go and do something off the wall. And, you know, a smart man, but he decided to hijack an airplane. Where do you think he came up with the idea? He's probably, again, personal opinion. I think he probably had that on his mind uh, a long time. You know, just just reading and you know he knew planes and he probably probably read a lot of aviation magazines and uh, you know 
especially when he got to need money when he was getting in a financial bind. Yeah, and I've, what do you what do you think about this, Johnny? I've heard people say it's it, you know it's not McCoy because when he pulls off the copycat hijacking, it's so sloppy. But then I've also heard people say, you know, you talk about being complacent. You know, he got away with it the first time, so yeah. now it's the second time he's trying to execute his plan. But you know, again, he he's nervous about some things. He changed some things up this time, like a disguise. And so maybe he just thought he was going to get away with it right away. Sounds just like him. What do you think about the age gap, though? Because the stewardesses describe him as being in his mid-40s. Yeah, I, I, I know you've looked at the pictures. Oh, I definitely have. I would, I would hate to guess his age. You know, the, the, all, all the pictures I've seen, I mean, I'd say anywhere. I'd say anywhere from 33 to 48 to 50. And and then he also, he did used to be a smoker, is that correct, when he was in the military? Yep, Raleigh Filler Tip Cigarettes. That's a good choice. Guess what, <laughs> guess what they found on the plane? Raleigh Filler Tip Cigarettes. Do you think the bomb was real? No, no, no. No, they found the, uh, the, the hand grenade pin that he gave to the stewards. Mm-hmm. They found that fake hand grenade in the, one of the duffel bags when they searched his apartment when they got the money. Right. I believe it was sold as a paperweight, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he didn't, he didn't have any bombs. No. He, could, he couldn't. He'd have had to, to activate the bomb unless he had some kind of remote system. He was more concerned about getting, getting out of that plane and being safe than he was blowing up. So what do, what do you think McCoy does? He jumps out of the plane... He hits the ground somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. What's his next move? I don't know how he got out of there. I really don't. Uh, he's a survivalist. Uh, he, he proved he could do it, you know, when, when, he, when he did it over uh, Utah. He proved he could do it. And uh, th- there is a, a dam up there. They said there's no lights. There is a dam that has lights on it that he could have used. Not, not a lot of people talk about that, but there is a dam in that area that he could have used as a reference point. Right. One other, one, here's, here's another one of those little things, and I can't remember the guy's name now, the uh, uh, U.S. Marshal guy that was taking care, that actually was in charge of McCoy during McCoy's trial, uh, said McCoy made the statement, there was a lot of talk, and this was on a break. That there was a lot of talk about the the money that they found in the Columbia River and how it got up river upstream. You familiar with what I'm talking about? Definitely. Yeah. How it got upstream. Well, if if you hold your hand out in front of you, you can go A at the top at twelve o'clock, B in the middle of the clock, and C at the bottom of the clock, and the rivers go flowing from C to A. He jumped out. When he jumped out at A, the wind stream carried him back. And he he made this statement when uh, they were talking about how the money got up there. He said, and nobody else would, would have known this but Cooper. McCoy made this statement to this guy that was uh, had him in custody. He said, you don't understand how hard that wind was blowing. And I was putting money in every pocket I had. 
So that's how that's how the money got blown out. He he had money. He had money, he was clutching money in his hand and was stuffing it in his pockets. He was putting money everywhere. So that's how the money got blown out, and and the jet stream carried the money back to the Columbia River. And that's my opinion again there. But but the fact that he made that statement, how would he? Nobody else but Cooper would have would have known that. Yeah, that's a good point. And he fixed that the second time because he had another duffel bag. Well, you didn't have that duffel bag during the uh, Cooper hijacking. Yeah, exactly. I believe he asked for the money in a knapsack in the Cooper yeah. hijacking and then got it yeah. in this weird bank bag where the top doesn't really secure. Yeah. Do you think that the flight path and the drop zone are accurate? For? For D.B. Cooper. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I never, honestly, being focused on McCoy, I, I never looked at that that good but hey he was dead on on the utah one yeah do you think that's a lesson he learned from the first one that he needs to give him more flight instruction i think so and he did he did some other things too that he's on a lesson learned you know in in the cooper hijacking he had the stewardess set beside him and she was eyeballing him for you know for evidence purposes in the McCoy hijack, and he made her sit in the seat in front of him so she couldn't look at him. Definitely. I always liked that he sent the pin for the grenade in the note. I always thought that was such such a bold yeah. move. Yeah. The, um, but I, I don't think there was uh, any explosives at all. Uh, I know I was going to tell you. Now, when you talk with Steve, Steve, Steve says the, and I think Steve sort of leans that way a little bit, he says around Salt Lake City, McCoy is a quote, quote Robin Hood. That you know, he says he's almost a, a cult figure, and he may, you know, he may be a cult figure. But um, and, and Steve said this. Steve said when he shot at the helicopter, he could have hit the helicopter. He was an expert marksman. But undoubtedly, Steve don't do much shooting because he, he's got a, a small 38 pistol trying to hit a moving helicopter and a half a mile away from him. You're not going to hit it. I don't care how good you are. You shoot the pistol at a helicopter a half a mile away, you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tall order. Why do you think this case doesn't get the attention it deserves? I don't know. And and Richard Twomey, we, we had that conversation a thousand times. Richard gave everything he had to the agent that relieved him and told him there's no doubt in his mind that Richard Floyd McCoy and D.B. Cooper are one and the same. Right. And why? I, I I don't know. I, I have no idea why the FBI. Um, well, I, I, I sometimes ask why the FBI does a lot of things, but you know when, when they uh, when they broke out of prison, it was obvious who the ringleader was. The FBI never told us law enforcement in North Carolina. They never told us anything. They notified Tennessee because they thought they were going to Tennessee. We had no idea. Tennessee knew where Walker, that was where Walker was from. Tennessee knew they broke out. They never told us. We never got a word about it. Why do you think people discredit McCoy? Uh, well, he's a thief, for one thing. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fact. We know for a fact he's a thief. Uh, he, he robbed, robbed banks. Uh, he, t- he stuck a 38 pistol in my wife's back. And told her this was a bank robber. That's why I discredited. <laughs> He's a thief. 
Why do you think some people don't believe he's Cooper? I, I think it's that following. Maybe following is a, following in the cult, same thing, I guess. But, uh, the Robin Hood image. You know, Robin Hood was still a thief in any way you look at it. Uh, I, I think that's probably what it is. You don't, and, you know, undoubtedly, by your phone call to me, touching base for me, uh, it's a lot more popular thing out in Salt Lake City and Utah in that area there than it is here. Uh, of course, now we got, I'm, I'm sitting here in my living room. I'm, as a crow flies, I'm probably nine miles from McCoy's grave. So there's a whole pile of McCoy and everybody over in that Coast City area, everybody's kin to everybody. But you don't, the only only time you hear Richard McCoy's name is if somebody asks me about it or if I give a program about it. And you do present uh, speeches on, on McCoy and Cooper, right? Yeah, I got a PowerPoint that I do. And where can people see that? <laughs> I had a feeling that was some, sometime this evening I was going to hear, Johnny, could you send me a copy of that PowerPoint? <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can get you a copy of it. Cool. Do you think I could share it with my audience as well? Sure, sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and of course, I'll give you credit for it and everything. But what what really got you into presenting about Cooper? Well, when I realized that you know that this was uh, this was Cooper and McCoy were one and the same. We got looking at it and looking at the pictures, and then uh, uh, you know my wife being involved in it there in the bank and uh, and me being uh, capturing two of his compadres. Uh, you know, it just got interested and, um, you know, I kept following up on it and following up on it. And, and I would tell the story, you know, with a bunch of guys sitting around and somebody would say, hey, Johnny, tell us about McCoy. And I'd, I'd tell it. And I told him a long time, uh, in an unofficial, if unofficial, official is not a good word, yes. But uh, I told him a long time just shooting the breeze with people. And then one day I got thinking, I said, yeah, well, I'll put a PowerPoint together and do this. So uh, I put a PowerPoint together, and uh, and I'm going to tell you, it was sort of weird. I, I put in the, I was, I was working one night, and I said, you know, it'd be nice if I could get that. Because when I talk about the Ford Fairlane that I saw in Trenton that night, I could, I'd always look around the room and try to find some type, some type of light green, no matter where I was at. I could never find anything to tell them what color that car was. The, the evening that I was working on that PowerPoint, I said, well, let me just try something. I flipped over to Google and I typed in 1965 Ford Fairlane. Boom. There was what looked like the exact car they were driving. I did the same thing to the Monte Carlo, and there it was. I got, got a picture of both of those. In there. Nice. Now, let me tell you this. I'm going to send you my, my PowerPoint, but... And you may be able to pick up on it based on the conversation we're having now, but a lot of it are pictures that you won't know what it is. You might be able to figure out because of what we've talked about. But uh, just, but you, welcome. You know, you can call me and ask me if you got a question about anything. Yeah, absolutely. Do you pay any attention at all to some of the other suspects in the case? Yeah, I'll read it and push it aside. Most of it's funny. <laughs> Who do you think is the worst suspect that gets attention? Uh, well, there was the one that there was a woman that says she was McCoy. 
um, Barbara Dayton. Yeah. The first transgender, uh, the first person to undergo gender reassignment surgery in Washington yeah. state. Yeah. It's a pretty wild and story. Then, yeah. I can't remember the other, there's, there's one other guy that he, he was one of the ones, you know, several, several of the people actually looked like him. Um, I, I can't, I can't remember their names. Why do you think McCoy hijacked the second plane? Oh, he got good. He got good. Uh, just like he, he, he told his neighbor. This is a foolproof. He got away with it. He got away with it. He, and he had uh, six or eight months there. He could learn and study and figure out what he did wrong. And if you think about it, the second one, the second one, if, if the neighbor hadn't called, the coin would probably be alive today. Well, he probably wouldn't, but he'd have done something else. But if the neighbor hadn't hadn't talked about it and called the FBI, I don't think they would. I don't think they would. There's no reason to focus on McCoy. One one other thing too is uh, going back to McCoy after the Cooper hijacking. As much of a financial bind as they were in, uh, FBI found records where he bought four new tires to go on his vehicle, and he took the whole family on a trip to North Carolina. That's right, the North Carolina trip. Yep. And that was after the Cooper hijacking. Why do you think none of that money ever turned up in circulation? It, you know, that, that's a question I get asked all the time, but think about it. You go back to my theory about Washington and Las Vegas. <coughs> FBI have, have all the numbers. But what's the odds of somebody sitting down and looking at every $20 bill that come, they get their hands on? I mean... That that sounds good on TV, <laughs> but in real life, that's that's not a viable option. You you can't. How many twenty dollar bills are already in circulation right now? Uh, there were hundreds of millions of the same bills that Cooper yeah. got in circulation. Yeah, and you know they had no reason to do anything in Las Vegas. That money and people go to Las Vegas from all over the world again to be so smart. How can you be so dumb? Is there what my what my Collect phone call to your house. Uh, why buy gas with a credit card? You got you got two hundred thousand dollars. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, if your Volkswagen is filled with cash, why are yeah. you using a credit card to buy fuel? Yeah, again, so smart, but would do dumb things. Do you think it would have been too risky to use a twenty that night to buy fuel? No, no. He's 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 what. Three, five hundred miles away from Washington State. Four hundred, five hundred miles. Do you think he had an accomplice, or or he acted alone? Well, he had his wife helping him on that. Now, I don't know who helped who helped him on the first one. She probably did. One one other thing, and uh, you probably know this. Uh, in case anybody's listening, don't believe anything I've said, or uh, and you think the body is is up in the northwest part of the United States. Keep in mind, it's under about 15 feet of vol- volcanic ash now. So that's where Mount St. Helens covered everything up, where he supposedly landed. Yeah, that definitely changed the scenery around there. Yeah. Johnny, what do you think of the fact that they have two different sketches of Cooper? They released one, and then a year later, a different one. Um, I, I didn't know there was a second one. Yeah, there are two versions of the, the Cooper sketch. Two main versions, I should say. 
There's the sort of black and white Bing Crosby looking one. And then there's the colored in sort of Cary Grant sketch. I've seen, I've, I've seen so many of them. Uh, I know that when you said Bing Crosby, because there is one that sort of looks like Bing Crosby. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I still had it somewhere. I can't find it. I just happened to look on the uh, uh, eBay the other, about a month ago, and I found a uh, McCoy wanted poster, FBI wanted poster, it was $500. And uh, I got one around the house here somewhere. I don't know where it's at. Oh, that's pretty cool. I don't have that. I have a D.B. Cooper wanted poster, but I don't have a McCoy wanted poster. Yeah. I'm going to have to get one of those. I'm I'm jealous of that. Well, you, you need to come out to North Carolina and we'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a real live show. I'll have to do that sometime. And I'll give you anything to go. And you and Steve and I sit down and talk. Cause Steve's, Steve's got a lot of stuff about the judge that, uh, that – I don't know how much you and he, he and you and he have talked, but he's got a lot of stuff about the judge you're gonna love. Oh yeah, and the uh, the FBI agent that shot McCoy. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Steve. Yeah. Do you think that the fact that there are so many suspects in this that it is it's muddied the waters too much, and this thing's never going to be solved? I don't think I don't think the FBI will ever say it's done. Uh, and. Again, Again, I'm just my opinion. I'm I am 100% convinced they are one and the same. Uh, I, I can never think of a reason. And I asked Richard Columbia, why why won't they admit they're one and the same? And and he said he he didn't have any idea. I don't, I just don't know. There's nothing to lose. It would be big news for a week, and then it would be done over with. Yeah, they, they had him in custody. Why couldn't they pin the first hijacking on him? Yeah, I know DNA was not like it is today. But they, 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 they had to tie something to him. And what would have been the difference in his sentence if he copped to being Cooper? Uh, he'd, well, he'd have been fine on that, that. Two separate trials. But he was sentenced to 45 years, right? Right. You know, 45 years when you're... 30 years old is a really long time. Yeah, it's almost life. It's almost life. Is and there much of a difference between two 45-year sentences <laughs> and one? Uh, two, uh, and federal time is 45 years. <laughs> if you're doing federal 45 years, you're doing 45 years. I just wonder yeah. about that. Like, It's not like the FBI doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. So they have McCoy doing a similar hijacking. They have him in custody. Why couldn't they link him to the first one? have no idea. It's a million-dollar question. No idea. I heard a rumor once upon a time, and I don't know if you've heard this, So, um, but I heard that there was some sort of a BYU medallion that was found. Have you heard that before? No. Okay. Yeah, it, it's probably uh, untrue, but I heard... I've heard a lot of untrue things, but I heard once yeah. that there was like a secret BYU medallion that was found um, that McCoy left on 305 on purpose with the tie. But if if the FBI had that, then it's case closed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they got two our witnesses that said that the tie and the tie tag, she said she bought the tie tag. 
and that's probably the time of Titanic probably grew into a BYU name. What was he studying at BYU? Do you know? Criminal justice. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. Criminal justice. Boy, he sure learned a lot about criminal justice, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. You, um, you know he escaped in St. Louis on the way back. With the garbage truck? No, no. Before, before when they sentenced him in, in uh, Utah. Mm-hmm. And another, another thing, the FBI, why didn't they fly him back? They drove him across country. And, you know, he told that when the judge... When the judge sentenced him, he asked him, did he have anything he wanted to say? And McCoy stood up and said, yes, Your Honor, you don't have a prison that will hold me. I will escape. And uh, on the way back in Salt Lake City, he stopped to go in the bathroom. There was a homeless person in there. He changed clothes with him and took off. Take on about an hour, but they got him. <laughs> what a slippery guy. Yeah. In that, back to Larry Patterson for a second, I just saw to this. In this Happy Valley book, it says that when McCoy is charged with this, he said that he did not want to go to prison in Utah, that it would be bad for him. Have you heard that before? No. Why didn't he go to prison in Utah? I, don't, I, I wondered that, too. We have a federal prison in Butner, and uh, I never—actually, I, I, that's the first time it's ever— crossed my mind about that he didn't go to prison in Utah, which he should have. But, uh, you know, what I've often wondered, and the reason I was given was it was close to home. But if he wanted to get close to home, Coast City, they'd have put him in Butner, which is near near Durham. But no, that's, that's, that's interesting. The first time I ever thought about why they didn't, I just thought they were trying to get him close to home. Well, in, in Happy Valley, they theorize that it's because you know Larry Patterson had some contacts, you know, in law enforcement, and that McCoy yeah. would have been fearful of of Patterson. But I mean, McCoy also had family in Utah, so if it was yeah. about being close to family, you know, if I'm going to get locked up, I'd prefer my wife and kids come visit me, I guess, than yeah. my parents. Well, I think by the time they went to trial, they, she had already moved back to Carolina. Oh, okay. Now, I will tell you this. I think Richard told me this. Uh, Walker, who was closest of those four robbers, Walker, Dan Walker, was the closest to McCoy. And uh, after he got out of prison, he was a, a good old boy, and uh, the FBI took a liking to him. And um, they did a lot of talking to him. And he said, Walker said that they would ask Cooper, uh, ask McCoy, are you Cooper? And he never replied. He would look the other way. He never replied. He never said, yes, or y'all shut up. Yes, I'm him. Y'all shut up. No, I'm not him. He would look the other way or get up and walk out of the room. He never replied the first time to, uh, to those four, those other three, when they would ask him, was he Cooper? Why wouldn't he cop to it? He already got caught for the second one. Who knows? Smart man, but so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> there is one other Utah suspect that I'm aware of. Wolfgang Gossett. Have you heard that name before? 
because it's such a name I've heard it, but I'm not familiar. He he was in the ROTC as a, an officer, I believe, and worked at a, a college nearby, was Mormon. So I've always sort of wondered if it was possible that Wolfgang and McCoy knew each other on some level. It's kind of a stretch, mm-hmm. I know, but... Yeah. What was Wolfgang's background? Uh, he, was, he, he was kind of a crazy guy, a survivalist. He was a priest. Um, he performed exorcisms. He was a radio show host. Uh, he was interested in the paranormal, uh, sort of a con man. But LDS at one point in time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. it, again, it goes back to his personality. It sounds like somebody McCoy would be attracted to, but then again, it sounds like somebody he wouldn't be attracted to. Are you Are you very familiar with the Mormon religion? No, not a whole lot. Are you aware of anyone from his from his church when he when he got caught? I mean, what was the reaction there? I have no idea. We have there's very few uh, Mormons here in in this area. There's a, there's a few. So that might be but, a question uh, for Steve. Yeah. Oh yeah, he can answer that. <laughs> Do you think this will ever officially be solved, the Cooper case? No. no. Why is that? I wish I knew. Wish I knew. There's no reason for it not to. You know, even, even if you were, even if you were, I, I, I'm a hundred percent sure in my mind that they're one and the same. But the FBI has nothing to lose or to gain. I think they probably have something to gain. They can close that case, but I, I don't think it'll. I think somebody will be having this conversation you and I are having years from now. Well, we've been talking about it for almost 49 years now, so. Yeah. Do you think that the FBI believes it was McCoy, but they don't have that smoking gun? They're just shy of being able to to prosecute him for it. Well, why not come out and say it? I mean, they, they, can't, they can't prosecute him. Why not come out and say it? You know, we've got this evidence that here it is. I don't know. I don't know why they won't. I don't know. It'd be interesting if they did that. Because, but then it sort of goes out to the court of public opinion instead of instead yeah. of it actually going to court. So I don't know if the FBI would do that, would they? Obviously not. <laughs> Obviously not going to do it because they haven't done it. Do you think McCoy would have done this a third time if he wasn't caught? Absolutely. Really? You think he would Absolutely. have been a, like a serial air pirate? Yeah. And he probably got killed, you know. You know, he was he was two and zero. Law of averages is going to catch up with him, <laughs> especially yeah. with that many people looking for him. Yeah, but you know, he just like he he learned the second time. Uh, he he threw the uh, parachutes out. They had the tracking devices in. He was smart enough to figure they were probably going to do that this time. Why do you think he brought a gun the second time? I would think probably he he may have had a run in that first time, like the guy that gave him the ride, and he might have bought it, brought it for that protection. Or, you know, where are you going to land? What kind of animals are you going to run into? Yeah, and it's possible he had a gun the uh, 
the first yeah. skyjacking, we just don't know because he never pulled it yeah. out. Yeah. So how do we solve this case now, Johnny? Me and you. How do we solve it? <laughs> you, you're going to believe my side of the story and say we've solved it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like that answer. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's. Uh, it's. I, I don't think there's an answer to it. I mean, if you know, I can pre I can pre, pre present my my thinking. Uh, Richard turned over a whole room full of evidence, and they didn't believe him. And. Uh, you know, Steve's got all kind of evidence. Man, I wish I could go to that. Get with you two. It'd be interesting. But he's got all kind of evidence. He's got some things that, uh, about the judge that uh, is really convincing. One thing in particular, and he'll tell you about it. I'm, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to repeat it. I'll let him tell you. Uh, be, be sure and ask him about uh, the guy in the platoon next to um McCoy in, in the Vietnam, what his name was. Oh, come on, Johnny, just tell me. <laughs> Have you ever been on some of the internet forums or discussion boards about D.B. Cooper? One or two of them. I hadn't been probably in a year or more. Every once in a while, I look and see, you know, I just type the name in and see what's going on, if there's anything new coming up. And, uh, you you got to remember, too, that since 1972, 74, when this happened, about, it used to be about once or twice a year, people would, like you, would find out about it, or somebody writing a book, or doing a TV series, or something, or just an article, information, they would call and want to speak to my wife, because she was in the bank that day, got robbed. And she never talked to him, but she don't want to talk, she won't talk about it. But she'll say, my husband will talk. <laughs> And she'd give me the phone. So about, about now, it's been, what, what did we say, what, we 49 years? Yep, it'll be 49 years this November. Now it's about maybe once a year or something like that. I'll give a, somebody call me and tell me the, uh, the, the DB, the Cooper McCoy, McCoy's things on TV. You turn it on. And I do my talk. I'm a, I'm a uh, Mason. And we have a speaker's bureau, and that's, that's how you contact the speaker's bureau. That and, is uh, how I found you. Yeah, and I, I travel around the state, and sometimes we give Masonic programs, and we give non-Masonic programs. And everybody, I, there's no telling how many times I gave this thing last year, and, and would have this year if it hadn't been for the uh, the virus. But I, I'll probably average that PowerPoint. 10, 10 to 15 times a year. Oh, that's pretty cool. I, I appreciate yeah. you keeping the the D.B. Cooper story alive. Yeah. Oh, everybody loves it. Yeah. I don't, I don't care what age group you... Everybody knows D.B. Cooper and the hands will go up. Do you mind telling us about your wife running into McCoy at the bank? Oh, no. She was... Uh, you walk in the front door and to the left was the bank president's office. Do you know? Do you remember what bank it was? Bank. It was Bank of America. But I'm sorry, Bank of North Carolina back then. And if you look to your right, was the teller line, and they had probably one, two, probably four tellers. It was a small bank. 
they come in and she she's facing in the president's office standing in the doorway leaning against the, the door and McCoy goes up behind her and puts the gun in her back and she thought it, the, the druggist down the street Bill Allen he was all the time cutting the fool with, with the girls in the bank she thought it was Bill Allen she said Bill Allen what are you doing she turned around and looked and there he was with an orange face mask on they all had an orange face mask and your wife was an employee and, there? yeah and uh they told him it was a bank robbery, and they put him in the vault. The vault wouldn't close. It had a safety switch on it, so it wouldn't close. And, of course, as soon as they all ran out, they went and looked out the window and got the dark green Monte Carlo. And uh, that's how it went out. And when did your wife tell you about this? I assume you were at work at the time. Yeah, I was at work. Well, when I got to the bank, after we got the, uh, the Monte Carlo in custody, we used the bank boardroom as sort of a uh, headquarters until we, you know, got set up in Cove City. So how did you find out about the bank robbery? Was it a call that came over your radio? Yeah. And you knew right away, hey, that's my wife's bank. Well, no, no. I never met her. Oh, you hadn't we, met your wife yet? Yeah, we met during the bank robbery. Oh, my gosh, that's great. That's what I was talking about that night in shining armor on the white stallion. I saved the day. <laughs> wow. So you go to the bank and we'll just call your wife Sally. And you meet Sally there at the bank and you two got married. How long after that? Oh, probably five years. Five years after that. So you guys have Richard Floyd McCoy to thank for your marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is great. I love that story, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks to D.B. Cooper, you two met each other. Yeah. <laughs> Was she traumatized by that? Uh, not really, but uh, it, it, she, she was robbed uh, one, two, three, four times wow. in her career. It's just sort of getting to be old hat to her. I guess so. Do you guys talk about D.B. Cooper, or is she not interested in it, really? Uh, she knows I, I do the talks, you know, that I travel doing that. And, uh, and she's heard it a million times. You know, we'd be <laughs> on a trip with somebody, and uh, somebody, oh, Johnny, tell us that story. So she's heard it a thousand times. That's her cue to roll her eyes and walk away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife does the exact same thing. Gosh, that's a great story. Why do you think so many people have confessed to being Cooper? Uh, it's a big thing. You know, publicity. It's all fun and games till the judge drops the gavel and then it's not fun anymore. <laughs> right. It was fun to pretend right up until that point. Yeah. Okay, I, I see the two pictures you were talking about now. Do you think McCoy picked the name Dan Cooper from the comic book? It wasn't from a comic book. Oh, really? Yeah. Another piece of evidence. Is a, and you know, he gave he gave the um, directions on where to park the plane, how many people to fuel the plane, which side to park the fuel truck, what runway, told the speed, told the flaps, basically gave him a flight plan. McCoy and Cooper did the same thing. You know that. Oh, yeah. How do you think he knew that the rear stairs could be lowered in flight? He, he did his own work. 
Do you think it could have been something he saw in Vietnam? Probably. Yeah, see, there's, there's, here's a bulletin from the FBI, and then the next slide is the plane, the 727. The next slide is the back of the plane with the steps coming down. And I got a copy of the note that he gave one of the uh, stewardesses. Yeah, because McCoy left his, uh, the second time, I should say, he left his notes on the plane. And you know the uh, the thing you tore off that, that brown paper bag and wrote "Take off now" will blow up the plane. <laughs> yeah. When she 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 gave that to the pilot. He gave it back to her. She threw it in the trash. And then a few minutes, about ten minutes later, she thought about it, went and got it and put it in her bra. Good move. You know where McCoy was the day he went to his house. The first day he went to his house looking for him. No. He was flying a helicopter for the Utah I, National Guard looking for I did know that, actually. I did know that. He was flying a helicopter looking for himself. Yeah. I did know that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. He had to have just the biggest smile on his face when he was doing that. Yeah. To be involved in the search for yourself is pretty cool. Yeah. This uh, slide showing the prison... There's corn. There's corn. Corn came all the way up to the prison fence back in '74, and that was one of McCoy's things to do. About six foot tall. Uh, he didn't want anybody taller him, but he didn't want anybody that was over six foot because they could see him over the corn. He, he was already in January. He was planning to escape in August. When he got there, he was already doing his planning, and he wanted to be able to get in that corn and nobody be able to see him in the corn. So no crazy Walker. that he said he was going to escape and then did. Yeah. Larry Bagley was the one. Bagley and Havel, the two that I catch. That's really cool that you were involved in this. Yeah. And it's how you met your wife, too, which is even cooler. When uh, when you get this, I got a map of the county. And uh, you'll see the town of Trenton. And you look north of Trenton, you'll see Cove City. Obviously, if you'll call me back, I'll explain to you what that map is, where, where everybody was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, I'll, and I'll, sh- I'll share this with my audience as well. They'll be really excited about it. Have you ever talked to McCoy's wife? No, she won't talk to you. But you talked to his mother-in-law? No, I'm, I'm sure she's dead. Hmm. There's some aerial views in here, too, of the bank and of the... Uh, the town of Paulsville, where they were at, and I'll have to, I'll have to talk you through those. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right, Johnny. Well, if there's uh, someone who disagrees with you or wants to tell you that you nailed it and got everything right, is there somewhere where they can reach out to you? Yeah, um, you get my email address: uh, J Searles, J S U R L E S at e c dot r r dot com. Edward C. Charles. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Johnny. Again, I really appreciate it. All right. Bye. If you want to reach Johnny, you can hit him up at jsurls at ecrr.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes for you as well. Is there a theory or angle you think we haven't covered yet? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. We are the Cooper Vortex. Instagram at the Cooper Vortex on Twitter at dbcooperpodcast, or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. Thank you to Johnny Searles for coming on the show. 
Thank you to Russell Colbert for always fixing my mistakes. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to the Cooper Vortex.